This morning's reading is from the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. Please stand for the reading of God's word. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, make the best use of the time. Let your speech also be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of God. So it's been our tradition to preach the sermon before the Life on Mission Conference as a preparation for our Life on Mission Conference. So we've chosen to speak from Colossians chapter 4 this morning. So most of us avoid telemarketers whenever we can. Annoying isn't a strong enough word to describe their calls. They pretend to have our best interests at heart, but they don't really care. We are simply their target. So their message is a one-size-fits-all. They've prepared it, and they're going to go through it whether you interrupt or not. If we are given a chance to talk, we're not heard. We can tell them our house is on fire, and they're going to still keep us on the line. So if we, once we are able to escape, well, we block them so we never have to hear from them again. Do we realize that many of us sound like telemarketers when we share the gospel? We repeat the same offenses that irritate us. We're quick to speak and very slow to listen. We use memorized presentations that don't necessarily fit their particular interests. And if they express an opinion, we're quick to counter it, dismiss it, or circle back to our canned presentation. We have the greatest message in the world, yet people are seldom interested. Perhaps it's because we are too similar to telemarketers. Let's pray. Our Father, we do have the greatest message. We have a message of hope. Hallelujah, our Savior, who brings forgiveness, who removes our guilt, who gives us a purpose and leads us down the right paths, who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We have a Savior who loves us, and has given us a certain hope to which we can always look. Lord, we have this incredible message. And help us, help us to convey it in a way that people hear it. May we listen first so they might hear you speak to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Jesus wasn't a one all-size 
one-size-fits-all evangelist. The way Jesus spoke to Nicodemus was diametrically the opposite of the way he spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. He was direct and to the point with Nicodemus, a man who was highly religious and seemed to trust him. And so he could say, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, he could be direct because he knew Nicodemus's heart. He knew Nicodemus's intentions. He knew his thoughts. He knew his questions before he ever met him. He spoke in a different way to a marginalized Samaritan woman because he knew her brokenness. He was circumspect, allowing her to first meet his need. Then he met her need for living water. Now, we won't be omniscient like Jesus is. We'll need to listen to people to gain the insights he naturally had. But still, we can follow Jesus's model, and Paul shows us the way in Colossians 4. Pray wisely, live wisely, and speak wisely. Colossians 4.3 says, at the same time, pray. Pray also for us that God may open the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. See, evangelism is a team effort with God. While God has graced us with the incredible privilege of being able to share the gospel, no one is going to come to faith apart from God working in their lives. And Jesus said, no one comes to him unless the Father draws him. This means prayer is essential. Paul, the greatest evangelism in all of history, he asked the Ephesians to pray for his boldness. You know, there's no evidence that Paul lacked boldness. On the, on the contrary, he was as bold as could be. He would preach the gospel wherever he could. And that's why he was in prison when he wrote Colossians. Yet, as bold as Paul was, he asked the Ephesians, pray that I might be bold. He entreated the Colossians to pray for an open door for the gospel. Because he knew that apart from God working, every door and every heart would be closed. He asked them to join him in his pursuit of clarity. Verse 4, pray that I may make it, the gospel, clear as I ought to speak. Paul knew that it wasn't enough to just offer the gospel. It needed to be understood. So often I used to teach and when I'd be finished, I'd say, well, I told them. And then I later learned, no, that isn't enough. People actually have to understand what you tell them. That's the same for us. It's not enough to tell. We must be understood. We must be clear. Paul knew this. And so to the Jewish people, he spoke the scriptures. To the Greeks, he quoted Greek prophets. His message was simple. 
Christ died for our sins and rose again. But in order to be clear, he would counter misconceptions. He'd expand the points that his audience didn't understand. He spoke the language of his listeners, and he avoided offending them. He was challenging, and he was relevant. Paul was as clear as clear could be, yet he asked them to pray for his clarity. Because there's a spiritual battle going out there. Spiritual, cultural, and internal forces have blinded eyes to the gospel. It needs to be clear, and we need to be praying. So if Paul needed prayer for boldness, clarity, and open doors, where does that leave us? How many of our prayers are saturated with what Paul prayed for. Consider our personal prayers, our group prayers, our corporate prayers. Do we pray for those who need Christ as Paul did? Open doors, boldness, and clarity. Paul calls us to walk wisely, verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So wisdom in this context means that we choose the best and appropriate actions in order that others could come to know Christ. So how are we doing? Are Christians living lives that are attractive to those who don't yet know Christ? What, what do they think of? when they look at Christians? What have their interactions been like? Doug Pollock, who's going to be our Life on Mission speaker this weekend, has asked many college students the question, what's the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word Christian? Their answers? Judgmental, narrow-minded, holier-than-thou, anti-intellectual, condescending, homophobic, hypocritical, and intolerant. That hurts. It appears we are not living wisely. And this is in such contrast to the early church. What were they known for? They were known for loving one another, for going out and rescuing abandoned infants, empowering women, risking their lives to go alongside and help those who are stricken with the plague, and having a countenance of joy even as they were being martyred. They walked wisely. Stephen Neal wrote, the initial factor in the conversion of many Christians was their perception of some action on the part of a Christian which presented itself as radically different from the kind of action which would, would have been taken by a non-Christian. We distinguish ourselves in the way we live and the way we respond. What can we do in our lives to show a difference? Because we know Christ. Another feature of walking wisely is to understand and to relate to people in the ways that actually connect with them to relate to them. 
Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 9. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jew I became as a Jew, in order that I might win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one who under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Why? In order that I might win those outside the law, though I keep the law of Christ in the process. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Paul did everything to build bridges to others to relate to them. He spoke their language. He didn't wait for people to come to him. He didn't wait for them to come to church service. He went to them and lived in a way that broke through their misconceptions about Christianity. Paul would never compromise the gospel. He'd never compromise his spiritual life, but he would limit or use his freedom in order to reach people for Christ. Paul wasn't living for himself. He was living for the Lord. He was living for other people to know Christ. We're to walk wisely and make the best use of our time. The New American Standard captures Paul's meaning a little more clearly in that last phrase by translating it, make the most of the opportunity. See, there are opportune times in people's lives that are when they're more open to Christ than at other times. There's a life change, a job loss, a concerning medical diagnosis, personal struggle, or a period where they're searching spiritually. See, our neighbors may not be interested in our faith today or tomorrow, but when there's a change in their lives, they might know their need for what we have to offer. The opportune time. Are we ready? See, when those times come in our neighbors' lives, we won't know about them unless we have a relationship with them. And they won't know that we can help them and share God's word with them unless they have a relationship with us and know that we're Christians. <clears throat> Pray wisely, live wisely, speak wisely. Colossians 4.6 Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So there's three dimensions in wise speech. Gracious, seasoned with salt, and personal. Our message won't naturally sound gracious because it's exclusivistic. We are saying to people, the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. Doesn't sound very gracious. It flies in the face of today's culture of inclusion. In reality, Christianity is incredibly inclusive. Everyone is welcome. Tax collectors and prostitutes, the religiously self-righteous, zealots who persecute the Christians, 
disciples who deny Christ, criminals crucified alongside Christ, they're all welcome, every one of us. The grace of God grounded in the cross is available to every sinner. And we are among those sinners. And we should be willing to admit it. And when we do, we're starting to speak graciously. You know, this became evident to me in my seminary days when I had a conversation with a man I just met. During our conversation, he said he wasn't interested in being with Christians because Christians are hypocrites. And he pointed to a co-worker who was a Christian. He said, you know what he does? Every day, he steals parts. He puts them in his lunchbox, and he takes the lunchbox home. And so I, I responded, and I said, well, he wasn't a real Christian. He said he shared the exact same gospel you shared. I was humbled. And I said, if you knew everything about me, you would probably say the same thing about me, that I too am a hypocrite. Please, don't look at us. Look at Christ. He immediately said, I want to believe in Jesus. No, he didn't. <laughs> I don't know if he ever believed in Jesus, but at least I finally spoke with humility and graciousness. We need to be honest about the church's sins. There are pastors who fleece their flocks. Church is full of hypocrites. We have not always championed justice. See, we can agree with any number of their criticisms, because they're true. And when we do, we begin to communicate, we're no better than they are. We're no different. But we do have Christ. We have received grace, and it's offered to them. When we do that, we speak with grace. And our speech is to be seasoned with salt. Jesus' speech was seasoned with salt when he spoke with Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. He brought out the flavor of the gospel that was especially tasty to each of them. Nicodemus was longing for the kingdom of God. Jesus told him how he could enter it. The woman, marginalized, broken, was longing for life itself. And Jesus offered her living water and told her how to get it. In chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, Jesus spoke to every need of those first five disciples he met. Andrew longed for forgiveness, Peter for a new identity, Philip for everything that the Messiah offered, Nathaniel wanted to be known and accepted. Jesus connected himself to each one of those needs. Paul Konstansky, the missionary that was just prayed for, was our Life on Mission conference two years ago. And he spoke about understanding, understanding the motivational themes in people's lives and looking at our story with Christ 
and speaking our story with Christ into their needs. I shared with Sunday School this morning how my brother, when I shared the gospel with him and I talked to him about how he could have eternal life, he could live with God forever. And he wasn't interested in that. That need just bounced off him. I could talk to him about how Christ gives us a meaning and fullness and purpose in life and he wasn't interested and it bounced off him. And then there came an opportune time. He called me, his life was falling apart, and I shared how Christ would walk through him and lead him through that to a point of hope, and it connected. Do we know the motivational themes in people's lives? Or are we just trying to share what works for us? Learn their themes and share what Christ is doing in your life to meet those or if Christ hasn't done that yet, at least here Christ can meet those. We're speaking seasoned with salt. You know, addressing this question of how do we start seasoning our speech with salt, John Piper wrote, I think the answer is simply spend time every day reminding yourself from scripture why the gospel tastes so good to you. The best way to prepare to be an advertisement for the satisfying taste of Jesus is to enjoy him yourself. Every day we should go to the Bible, look for reasons why knowing Christ is the greatest thing in the world, and when we get off our knees with our hearts happy in him, we'll be in the best position to make our speech appetizing for Christ. May our speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, and may we know how we ought to speak to each person. Few of us have mastered this last phrase. We may have a standard gospel approach. It might be a clear gospel to most people, but we wrestle with how to personalize it with others. We can begin to do this by listening listening. And so let's start by listening to the voices that responded to a Barna Group survey asking the question, if you ever wanted to have a conversation with a Christian, what would you hope they would do or not do? So if you ever want to have a conversation with a Christian, what do you hope they'd do or not do? Your answers? They hope we'd listen without judgment. And we'd avoid being pushy. We'd allow them to draw their own conclusions. We'd show an interest in their life and their story. We'd ask them good questions. You know, it sounds like a lot of people have heard from Christians who sound like telemarketers. The first three points scream out that we need to stop thinking of people as projects, that we need to convert people by pushing them into thinking like we think. Our responsibility to, is to share the gospel in ways that are relevant to the listener. The, re the rest is up to God. Let God's spirit open the door. Let God's Spirit, use the word to minister their hearts. Let God, Spirit, lead them to the right conclusions. We can't do that. We can share our lives and what we know of Christ. The last two points cry out 
that we need to start caring enough for others to respect them, to listen to them, and get to know what's on their hearts. Then we'll be able to share the gospel in a relevant way. You know, there's someone very close to me who has been practicing these five points for quite a while. The result is she has regular spiritual conversations with a Dominican nun, a co-worker who opens up her life only to her, three colleagues who've asked her to lead them in a Bible, a Lenten Bible study, and another friend who called her out of the dark and said, I think Jesus is pursuing me. Can you help me? See, Karen has been living these out long before the Barna survey was ever done. And we should too. If we want to know how to speak to each person, we need to start by being interested in their life story and asking good questions. See, we may not be as bad at connecting as we could be, but few of us are as good as we should be. So we have an opportunity ahead of us this weekend. I encourage you to get Doug Pollock's book. We're selling it at the reduced price of $149.99. <laughs> uh, but I think Julie says you can pick it up for five bucks in that. And do, do come out to the Life on Mission Conference. I've only given you a taste. And the two surveys I cited are from Doug Pollock himself. Um, so come on out, and Doug's going to flesh out the many ways we can pray wisely, walk wisely, and speak wisely. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the treasure you've given us in your word and in your gospel. Oh, our desire is to just pour those treasures into the lives of others. Help us not be awkward. Help us not stumble. Open doors. Give us clarity. And help people feel the love of Christ through our love for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.